0: And speaking of ministry, um, Jane and I get asked that a lot. We get asked the question, "What's your ministry? What do you do?" Because we're, admittedly, not necessarily your typical looking couple involved in ministry, and, and we're we're full time missionaries as well as teaching elders here, and then we do, um, you know, artistic and business. We're involved with with missional business. In part of it, and so it all kinds of runs together, and it and it creates it creates difficulty in putting it into a box or a nice, easy, concise definition. And uh, and we're not the only ones who get asked that. Oftentimes, you know, whether there's a church goes through a gifting test or something like that, people are asked, "What's your ministry?" And on one hand, there are a multitude of answers. As a matter of fact, there are as many answers as there are people in the world with that. But on the other hand, there is only one answer to the question, what's your ministry? And we're going to look at that this morning. Those of you who have been with us, tracking with us, we're going through, we're finishing up a three-year cycles of, a cycle of going through the Gospels synoptically, looking at Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in particular, since the first of the year, we've been looking at the passion of Jesus. From the time that he is arrested, that he prays in the garden, that he's arrested through the crucifixion to when we ultimately celebrate Easter coming up soon now. But as we pause for a minute or a week actually, as we pause for a week to look at this, what we thought we would do is, is kind of get the perspective of looking back. Because when we're in the midst of it, we, we were talking about this at the teaching team, you know, we're spending, we're spending almost three months in the midst of the passion when in real time it only took a matter of days. It was only a matter of days that the disciples were there and, and seeing the intensity of it. And we've stretched that out. And so in order to participate fully, sometimes we kind of have to take a break. We have to kind of come up and look while not losing the experience of being there at the foot of the cross. And so what we thought we would do this week is look at how Paul interpreted that. And it's interesting. You can think about Paul a variety of ways. We spend a lot of time with Paul. Here is Grace Church going through that. But one of the things that you find as you read Paul, especially chronologically as we did, is that Paul is a practice theologian. He's a practical theologian. That Paul is working things out for the first time. It, never struck, it struck me as never before this week. That Paul was the first interpreter of the life of Jesus through the lens of the Torah, of cultural judaism he was probably the very first person who had the academic and cultural chops to be able to look back at all he had learned from studying from gamaliel studying from the rabbis being a practicing devout jew and filter the life and ministry of jesus through that and then transmit it to an audience that was largely not Jewish. Us. And and I thought about the incredible weight of that task for someone to be charged with doing that. And the thing was that also struck me is it had to be Paul. It couldn't have been one of the disciples. Namely for this if you know somebody if you've spent time with them if you've grown up with them If you try to describe them There are things that you just know innately There are things that that you just learned by being there that you're not necessarily going to Recognize that you need to translate out that you need to introduce about a person but if you're trying to translate what you've heard which you've encountered secondhand. if you are in the right place, you spend more attention to the detail. You spend more time on the detail. You ask a lot more questions. You source from a lot of different sources to compile that. And that's what Paul did. And listen y'all, that's what we do. Every single one of us, not to the extent, not to the magnitude of Paul, but in the same way, we're, we're getting this second hand. We're getting this variety of testimonies, and then we're all filtering it through where we are. We're translating it into our experience, so that we can do what? And here's the question for today. So that we can do what? Feel good about ourselves? Have our best life now? Be saved? Why are we doing that? Why, are, why do we go to the work? Why do we go to the effort? Why do we put all this into this understanding, this knowing, this even worshiping Jesus? Is it just for our own edification, our own benefit? Is it just so we'll escape hell or, or, or some other personalized benefit? I don't think so. Listen, we need those things. Hear me from the very start. Those are not bad things. I need them. We need them. But there's something more. So let's look. Our text this week is 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 21. And again, this is Paul filtering back through everything that he's encountered, everything that he knows about Jesus, but he's filtering it through, understanding his audience and where he's come from, the Torah, the culture, everything. And this is what he comes up with. He says, for Christ, love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. He's looking back at the cross. He's considering the cross. He's understanding the story that was, that was given to him about Jesus on the cross. And this is what he says. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We, Grace Church, each of us, all of us, are therefore Christ ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God because God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Wow! Do you see this? Do you see someone who is looking at the cross who is understanding the passion, the life, the death, the suffering, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus as not merely although it is essential, is not merely an escape from sin, but as also a charge to ministry, a calling to ministry? See, and here's the deal. We are all theologians. We're all theologians. The question is just what kind of theologians are we going to be? Are we going to be the kind of theologian who looks at the text, who who breaks it apart and analyzes it and charts it out and graphs it and says, Okay, I think I've systematized it now that I understand it. What's for lunch? Because I do that. I mean, I do that a lot. I find these little nuggets, and they're intellectually stimulating. And they find these things, but they they don't translate when I stand up. They just kind of sit there on the page. Or are we going to be the kind of theologian that Paul was? Holistic in his approach. Understanding that the word, the scripture, had authority in his life that it was to dictate everything about him, even to the point where, as we all know Paul's story, he suffered incredible persecution and even death. Because I believe that's what we're called to do, is to be that holistic kind. We have to ask ourselves, do we sample scripture to fit it into our personal songs? Or do do we submit ourselves wholly to it To be utterly transformed. Let's look at this. Just break it down. He goes, Paul's, Paul's, he's taken all this stuff. He goes, so we know that Christ died for us and for everyone. Therefore, the love of Christ is the prime motivating force for everything in our lives. This means we no longer live for ourselves. Y'all, we no longer live for ourselves. Let that sink in. Done. You walked in the room maybe thinking, how are you going to do this? No. If we submit ourselves to this text this understanding, this passion, this Jesus. We check ourselves at the door, now we live for him. That not only changes us, it changes the way we view everybody else. We no longer regard any other human being on this planet according to the labels that culture puts on them. We don't regard them as Democrat or Republican, as Arab or Western. Male or female, June or Greek is how the Bible puts it with that. All those labels and divisions are done away with. And the primary thing we see when we see another person is someone who has been reconciled to Christ through the blood of Jesus, or at least the offer is there to be reconciled. They're worthy of reconciliation with that he goes on to say, for those in Christ, newness has come, the old is done. All this is done by God. We see that through the reconciling ministry of Jesus, we are given that same ministry that Jesus had. Each of us is given that. And as a result, we are made ambassadors. The question here, just like the one with theologians is not, are you going to be an ambassador for Christ? Josie, the question is not, are you going to be an ambassador for Christ? Kim, that's not the question. Caleb, that's not the question. The question is, what kind? Because when we claim that title, when we claim that tag, Christian, we are representing Christ. Period. You don't get a choice whether you're going to do it or not. You are doing it. The question is, what kind of ambassadors are we going to be? Well, let's let's look at this. Here's that first slide, Aaron. As followers of Jesus, we have to understand, we're not just saved from something, but we're also saved to something. And the Bible is full of this, right? We've understood this all through our scripture, right? Love your neighbor as yourself, right? Love God and love your neighbor. They're inseparable parts. We want to break them apart. We want to isolate them. We want to have them. We want to take the half that we like and we want to ignore the other half that we don't. Salvation, personal salvation from our sin, being reconciled from God is inseparable from our call to be ambassadors for Christ. You cannot have one without the other. They're, just, they're so intertwined. They're so integral to each other. You cannot break them apart. And so often, listen, we need salvation. I desperately, desperately, desperately need those things. Salvation from my sin. Healing. Wholeness. Liberty. Yes, yes. I'm not denigrating any of those things. As a matter of fact, I'm putting them in their proper place where I believe they can be more fully experienced, not less. When we embrace this calling to something, to be an ambassador, we're not denigrating our salvation from sin. We're actually elevating it by putting it in its proper place. We're more fully able to encounter it, to engage in it, to understand it. But we can't have that unless we also understand the corresponding call to something, to be ambassadors to this reconciling work of Jesus. We also understand this, that Jesus' love for us should be the prime motivating factor for everything we do. We don't do this out of debt. We don't do this out of obligation. We don't do this out of have to. We don't do this out of what we expect to gain in some celestial payoff someday. We do it because we get to. We get to do this. Can you imagine? The God of the universe has called us to represent him to his creation. Is there anything more noble? Is there anything more invigorating? Is there anything more life giving? Is there anything worth more than that? I'll let you answer the question. Is there anything worth more than that? Not that there aren't thousands and thousands of things that make the claim that they are. We talk about this a lot, right? You're gonna walk out of these doors. You're gonna leave here, you're gonna turn on the radio. You're gonna see the billboards. You're gonna go to the store, you're gonna see the thing, and there's gonna be a thousand things that say this is more important, this is more important. Some of them are gonna scream it in your ear. Others are gonna be very subtle, very subtle. But we're gonna have myriad things telling us, no, it's more important, this is more important, this is more important, this, you can't do that. You're not equipped to do that. You're not qualified to do that. You're not eloquent enough. You're not smart enough, pretty enough, rich enough, whatever. You can't do that. Now's not the time. That's not, that's, not, that's not logical. That's not realistic. That doesn't make work. That's not pragmatic. That won't last every argument, every enticement, to say something other than the love of God should be your compelling motivation. That there is only one thing as followers of Jesus, that we are to be ultimately And at our root, compelled by And that is God's love for us. We've talked about it before. It's the hardest thing to do as a human being is to walk in our belovedness. To know that we have been reconciled. To know that every sin, everything that we use to keep us apart from God, God has taken away through Jesus. And allow God to love us. Until we can do that, We're really going to be ineffective ambassadors loving anyone else. So we have to let, listen to what it says the love of God compels us. Not our love for God. That comes, that follows, that's necessary, but it starts with God's love for us. That's what Paul sees on the cross. I don't know, I don't know how it works. I don't understand. I mean, I read it, I know the theories. I know the philosophies, but I don't get it. I don't understand it. All I know is that when Paul sees it, he says, that's it. That is love. That is the answer. That is what makes me clean. That is what makes me whole. That is what makes me free. That's it. And from now on, everything that I do, every person I see, every thought that I think, will be transformed by that. That's the way Paul understands it. It Maybe the only way I can understand it. The last thing is this. As his ambassadors, we are to embrace the ministry of reconciliation as our ministry. So this is a practice I'm going to do. And you can do it if you want. You don't have to. But from now on, when people say, hey, John Ray, what's your, what's your ministry? I say, my ministry is the ministry of reconciliation. It's the ministry that I was given. You know, you ask people, right? How, how young does it start when you start asking, what do you want to be when you grow up? Two? I mean, probably before we can vocalize an answer, right? Let's see them. Come on, Fritz. What do you want to be when you grow up? (laughs) And he points to a bicycle, right? Yeah. So, I mean, we're asked that question. We're asked that question. Paul doesn't ask you that question. He doesn't ask us, what do you want to be when you follow Jesus? He tells us, this is what you will be when you follow Jesus. There's no question here. This is not multiple choice. This is not opt-in or out. He says, you, followers of Jesus are ambassadors for Christ given the ministry of reconciliation. That's my ministry. That's got to be at the root of everything that I do. Yeah, it's going to look different. Yeah, it's going to it's going to it's going to come out in a variety of different ways, but at the at the core, the core core of our being We have to embrace this ministry of reconciliation. We live in a world right now which is being so torn apart, so fragmented, so labeled, so maligned. It's such conflict. Within ourselves, within our very being, there is conflict and fragmentation. Anxiety. And here, reconciliation is found. Here, reconciliation, the only ultimate reconciliation, the only reconciliation that will last, the only reconciliation that is eternal, the only reconciliation that overcomes economic, political, cultural, nationalistic, whatever fragmentation found in this what else do we want to be about what other answer do we want to give than this <sighs> friends we have a lot to contemplate this week in our study we have a lot to contemplate as we work through these this passage through our discussions in our community group, through our personal devotional studies, we have a lot to contemplate with this. Can we submit ourselves to the passion that is presented here? Can we submit ourselves and let it transform everything about us? Can we understand that just as much as anything that we are called out from, this is what we are called to. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up as we start our transition into this time of reflection, communion, offering, and prayer. Um, Those of you who are visiting with us this morning, this table is open to all who are seeking that reconciliation, who understand Jesus' offer of life through his sacrifice and resurrection. We don't dismiss by rose. Come up as you're, as you're ready to do that. If you need to take this time to reflect, write something down, do that. You have the freedom to do that. If you need someone to pray for you, find someone to pray for you that you trust here. If you feel like you're supposed to pray for someone else, you have the freedom to do that as we worship. We also take up our offering because it is an act of worship. That's why we do it now. It's not just meeting a budget. It is an act of worship as we do that. Um, and also, just, just remember, even the active worship of participating in community, the sign-up sheet for the potluck this Wednesday, that's, that is an active worship in bringing together for this. So if you haven't had a chance to sign that, sign that, as we do. And we'll take this time to reflect, to share communion together, to give our offerings together, to pray together, to worship together, and then we'll close with the benediction. Thank you for being here this morning. I really, really appreciate it.